On this episode, we have a special guest, evangelist and prophet Dami Olorunisola of Voice of Grace Parish in New Jersey. He joins us to talk about liturgical worship and practice in Celestial Church of Christ, as well as general views of liturgy. We explore from different angles and share our perspectives on what we believe liturgical practice to be and what it aims to achieve. Several great points are made here, and we hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. A heartwarming welcome to the Kindling Podcast, presented to you by Celestial Zeitgeist Ministries. Here, we have uplifting conversations about the Word of God and the Christian faith. Together, let's begin the spiritual journey of bringing hearts to Christ, encouraging one another, and strengthening believers. We have uh, a very special guest, uh, evangelist, and I think slash prophet, slash teacher, <laughs> slash shepherd, uh, Dami Olorunisola in our midst. Welcome, sir. We welcome you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and thanks for the honor. May the Lord continue to abide with us all. Amen. Amen. Um, before we begin, just to break the ice, I don't know, let's... Um, Maybe you want to take a minute and just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, your church, your parish, and your service and everything that you do. Just about a minute. Absolutely. Uh, be happy to. Thanks so much for the opportunity again. I, of course, uh, was born into the church and I've been in the church my entire life. I, of course, when I came to the States, I was probably about 14 then, just finished high school and... There weren't really a lot of celestial churches around me, but my father being who he is, every Sunday the first question he asked was, did you go to any church? So I found a couple of churches I attended around. I went to a Catholic church because the services were so short with a friend of mine. Then I went to a Baptist church after that. And then soon after my parents moved out here, um, it was inevitable. I mean, the moment the services started, the spirit moved. And I just knew I was back home again. I'd missed it so much. So there was a few years of a hiatus, if you will. Uh, but other than that, I've been in the church the entire time. And uh, yes, I'm an evangelist. My God's grace, a prophet. Um, many and manifold are the graces of God. I right. also am the secretary of Voice of Grace Parish. And uh, been there ever since. And I do my bit and my part to support the ministry and to help move and advance the agenda of our Christ in this enemy-occupied territory we call the world. But mm -hmm. uh, thank you again for having me. And that's a little bit about myself. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. Um, so I guess we'll be tapping into your, into your you know, deep and extensive background. Um, you know, seeing that you were born in, into the church, um, which I think lends to this conversation, a, 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 you know, a wealth of, of, of um, you know, uh, uh, what can I say, a wealth of uh, uh, insight. Yeah, insight, that's the word. <laughs> so today we're, we're discussing the CCC liturgy. Um, and I actually had a bet with myself today that I think this episode 
will probably be the longest one we have just by virtue of, <laughs> of the title. I, I had a bet with myself. I think this is going to be like the record because all our episodes, I think, are about like an hour. I think the longest we've gone, maybe about an hour and 15. But I, 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 I think we're going to beat that record today. So we'll see. <laughs> and the Lord guide this conversation. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, I'll begin here. Uh, I, I was reading up on, on calligraphy, right, which is, you know, the art of, of writing words or letters, in, you know, in a, in a beautiful style or manner. And, you know, this art has been practiced, you know, in several civilizations, uh, you know, where writing was developed, Mesopotamia, uh, uh, Greece, Egypt, Middle East, Rome, Asia. Um, and I was reading specifically um, more about Chinese calligraphy. And one of the things that I found was that was interesting was they had this philosophy where they believed that how a person writes is every bit as significant as what a person writes, right? So um, I found this very interesting for various reasons, and we'll probably, I'll, I'll go into them, you know, some of those reasons during the course of this, of this discussion. Um, but first, um, I, I would like to first dive into, you know, our, our own individual perspectives on the importance of liturgical worship before we even start touching the Celestial Church of Christ. And we know the Celestial Church of Christ belongs to a category of churches that still, that I guess we can categorize as liturgical, right? Um, in the sense that we, we have standardized uh, order of, of practices that we observe, right? Every, maybe right. the Sunday liturgical service or the new moon, for instance, right? Um, Roman Catholic Church, Orthodox, Anglican, Episcopalian, we kind of fall into that, that category, right? right? And for me, when I was looking up the definition of, lit uh, of what uh, liturgy means, it, it seems to me that liturgy is the answer to the question how do you worship God, right? How do you, how do you worship God? To which, you know, to us as Celestial Church of Christ members, then we, we get the opportunity to explain the style of our worship, right? Which I guess is in a similar sense what I'm attributing to calligraphy where one might ask maybe the, the, the Chinese traditional uh, school teacher, how do you write, right? And then he goes on to, to demonstrate his style of writing. Um, and then lastly, I, I think another thing I found interesting in the correlation you know, between calligraphy and liturgy is that I believe liturgy deals with the visual form of worship, like a visual form of worship, as calligraphy deals with the visual form of writing, right? They are, you know, as visual forms, they are elegant in expression, right? Um, concerned with harmony of some sort, it's intentional and it's also experiential, that there's something it's trying to get you to experience, right? And of course, spiritual. So I know I'm taking it more from maybe a symbolic um, aspect, which I imagine I'll probably do a lot of before. And then, and then we, we, we begin to graduate into the spiritual aspect of this. So um, I think this is a good place to start. What is liturgy to you? And what is the importance? What strikes you as the importance of liturgy? Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Brother Dami. Well, <clears throat> thank you so much for that. I think for me, especially 
as concerns this church. I mean, liturgy in itself is is really a set of sort of standardized, if you will, yeah. practices or formulas or or a, a, a sort of tenets and ordinances that sort of guide a particular type of worship. So as you mentioned earlier, the Catholic Church have theirs, we have ours, the Baptist Church have theirs, Episcopalians mm. have theirs, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's a set of rules, if you will, that guide the way the Lord has invited a particular people unto himself. Mm. And, you know, it's very interesting because we try to generalize the approach that the Lord has for everyone, particularly, you know, people will quote uh, the statement Christ made to, I believe it was the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4, whom he met at Jacob's well, who said, you know, uh, you know, you people tell us that, you know, we have to worship only in Jerusalem. Mm. And then Christ told her that neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain are you going to worship for you do not worship what we you know, but we worship yeah. what we know. And a time is coming and indeed has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for them as such that the Father seeks. So people take that and they go, okay, worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. He says, hey, a time will come where you don't necessarily have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to this mountain. Worship will become spiritual. And therefore, because of that, there is no need, if you will, for liturgies. There is no need for the assembling together in a formal type of worship. And if we will come together, then there is no need for formularies and liturgy and things of that nature. But mm. I think that turning it upside down, and that's always the danger of taking particular verses uh, without looking at it in the totality. For instance, you know, it's the same people who will try to um, sort of tell you about the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New. There is no God of the Old versus the God of New. It's the same God. Right. You know, it's, it's a beginning, middle, and end. So when you look at that in the context of liturgy, I guess that, that the, the, the sort of the way we worship and the liturgies of celestial, one of the things I've always described the church as when people ask me, okay, what celestial church of Christ, especially people who really aren't familiar with it. I describe it as an orthodox Pentecostal church mm. because I think there is absolute orthodoxy in the church. There is no doubt about that in the sort of, you think about the way the altar is set up and you think about the candelabras and the lamps and the flowers and you think about the way we come into the church and the way there are people on the left and people on the right, men and women sitting separately and things like that and some right. of the litanies of, of our psalms and things like that. So there is absolute orthodoxy, but it is also very much, perhaps even more so, a Pentecostal church that is absolutely very spiritual-based, very Holy Ghost-based and, you know, driven in right. mysterious ways by the Spirit. So when I think about liturgy in that sense, um, you know, I, I personally really just believe that for me, it is the, 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 the set of formulas, the set of tenets and codes that has been given to each church. Take the redeemed church as an example. Right. You know, when uh, Pastor, I believe it was uh, Ken Louie, uh, forgive me, I could be murdering his name, who was the founder of the church when mm -hmm. he was called. And you think about the way that he was called and the way the church was given to him. You see a lot of similarities in, instead of something that happened celestial because he also was an uneducated man. He was a businessman. 
and suddenly he gets this revelation. And when the name of the church is revealed to him, it's given to him again in a revelation. Somebody takes a chalk and a dream on a vision and is writing the name on the board. Right. Much like it was done with Celestial Church of Christ where the prophet stood up and asked for a church and wrote on the wall the name of the church as well. So every church is given a liturgy. Right. Even those who think they do not, in fact, do. You will never find a church that isn't without one. Mm -hmm. You know, the question is, what is the liturgy given to you? And to me, it is just a means by which the Lord calls you unto himself. And there are so many different ways he calls us unto ourselves. Because again, when you think about the fact that we have over 7 billion people in the world, I know two people are alike, you start to understand that this God will worship is also just as uh, multifaceted, I guess, in his approach to, to this sort of dynamic creature we call the, the, human, the human genome. So that's just my thought on that. Wow, interesting. I like the, I like the um, orthodox Pentecostal uh, view and explanation. I've never actually quite, quite uh, thought of it that way before, but that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, but the Shay, let me get your your uh, input as to, I guess, your your views and perspective on on liturgy um, and and its importance. Yeah, it's actually interesting that I when when I'm asked uh, to give a you know a concise explain you know d description of of CCC Celestial right. Church of Christ, uh, I actually. Uh, I, I don't say Orthodox Pentecostal. I, I tell people that are, you know, maybe um, completely unfamiliar with the church. I, I always use, I always say it's African Orthodox, <laughs> right? That's, that's how yeah. I always describe it. So it's interesting right. that myself and Brad Dami kind of, uh, you converge know, we, we kind of converge yeah. on the Orthodox understanding. Because, yeah, if you understand, you know, what, when we say that, you know, the church is Orthodox, it's, and it's one of the things I actually find, I might be going off on a tangent here, but it's one of the things I actually find very interesting about Celestial Church of Christ that I actually think um, we haven't, as a church, we haven't explored enough. How did this church, um, this, you know, this, this kind of mode of worship, this liturgy um, originate uh, from a very nondescript, uh, unassuming place in Africa? And has all the the trappings of um you know uh, of orthodoxy that can be traced back thousands of years and and things that uh and incorporates in itself a lot of things that you wouldn't expect you know based on the profile of the pastor founder of the church and the early members of the church right. you would not have expected them to have been familiar with mm -hmm. right because it is so different in many ways from uh, what they would have been exposed to. Maybe the closest kind of, um, the, the, the closest denomination they would have been exposed to, um, I, if, we, if we're talking about similarity in liturgy, would be Catholicism. Mm. But there's still many differences. Um, I, but yeah, I, so I, I call it you know, African Orthodoxy because the church is an AIC, which means it's an African instituted church, meaning that it's, it's not a church that emerged out of, um, out of the West. Like right, Latinized, out of the Latinized uh, West, world, right. the, the the Roman Western, you know, Western world, and as we know, you know, um, the the Great Schism of the Church effectively divided the the Universal Church, right, the right. Catholic Church, uh, into mm -hmm. two, right, the what we now know as what we now call the Roman Catholic Church, and the rest we call as uh, the the Orthodox, the Orthodox churches, which mm -hmm. is really just the or some people formalize it as you know the Eastern Orthodox churches, right, the Coptics, 
the, the Syrian Orthodox Church, Armenian Orthodox Church, Russian, so on, Indian Orthodox, so on and so forth, right? right. And there you have Social Church of Christ, who is very Orthodox, very similar to these churches that it would have had no, you know, in, uh, in you know, for the pastor Fonda and Bennett would have had very, very little, um, uh, if at all, any kind of contact with a lot of the, the practices, uh, the iconographies, the, you know, uh, the the mode of worship that that you find in Orthodox churches. So I think personally, that's a very interesting thing that uh, mm. we do we haven't explored. You know that the spirits brought these things to the church, and we we haven't explored it. But I just wanted to start off with that. But you know, when we talk about you know liturgy, liturgy is is you know I go by the dictionary definition. It's a it's a mode. It's a it's a it's a formula. It's an approach, a way of worship, um, and. Uh, you know, for me anyway, I think you know, uh, see, you know, the the the, the liturgy of the church, um, I think, embodies in its entirety what uh, the scriptures describe as you know the the way in which you know in in how believers are to engage um, with one another when they congregate, when they assemble for the purpose of worship. Um, right. I, I definitely agree with. Brother Dami about you know the kind of um, uh, you know the, the 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 reading you know of liturgy not being important. Um, I I don't think you can read scripture, and I think it's it ties into what Brother Dami said about I think it's the same people that make the same argument of well uh, or, or try to say there's a difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. Right. It, it's the same God, and I don't th and I I don't think you can read scripture and not come away with a clear understanding that one of the revelations we have of the judeo-christian god is that he's a ceremonial god mm. he's a god of ritual a god of rites a god of um of of ceremony right i mean it's it's littered all throughout both the old and the new testament so evidently it's there is um it isn't the most important thing of course right but there is some credence that's put there, there there's some level of importance that is put on liturgy on the way that man approaches god right the and, and you know even even beyond i would even say beyond even judeo the judeo-christian faith uh it's something that if you know is is quite interesting that it seems as though man has always known from the very beginning mm. from uh, when you look at all, you know, all civilizations that have, that practice religion, whether it's the Yoruba uh, traditional religion, whether it's Egyptian, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, Babylonian, whatever, uh, Greek, whatever, right? All these different civilizations that practice religion. Uh, let me use one example. Why do they all have an altar? Mm. It seems as though man has always known that there needed to be consecrated spaces when you, when you go engage with God or the gods. All of these, when you search all religions, there's this, there's this, un, this altar. They all have this form of an altar. And, oh, this is a, that, that marks a sacred space that, that commemorates a place where God and man interact. Mm. That seems to be a, a belief even older than you know, it's, it's not a modern belief. It's, 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 it's as old as religion itself. So liturgy is, is very important. Again, it's not the most important thing. Right. But if you 
observe scripture, you understand that the, you know, the Judeo-Christian God is a ceremonial God, a God of ritual, a God of liturgy that speaks about, here's how you will approach me. Here's how you will do certain things. Um, you know, if you, if you look at uh, all the instructions given regarding the, 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 the Ark of Covenant, the, the, the utensils of the altar, the, the, the tabernacle, everything, how the priests will go about their, you know, the daily ministrations and all of that. Right. You know that, yes, indeed, uh, liturgy is, is something that uh, the Judeo-Christian God puts some kind of emphasis on. And mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, uh, that stands out to me anyway um, about the, the liturgy of the Church of Christ is that it is very, very, very in line with kind of what you, what you see um, in, uh, as expressed in Judaism, but also in Christianity as well. Yeah, it's, it's almost scary at times how, how, you know, you see how much it mirrors what you find in scripture. And, and we're, and we're, we're going to touch on that because I think that's going to be a very, very interesting portion of it. But I want to push, I want to push a little bit. Um, I want us to, I want to push a little deeper. And the reason I want to push deeper is because um, it seems to be a trend I don't know about, because I haven't been in, in, in Nigeria, I've been to Nigeria for over two decades now. So, but I, at least over here, out here uh, in, in the U.S., there seems to be this um, lackadaisical type uh, uh, attitude towards the liturgy. Even within us, you know, as celestial members, where you have people that are perfectly okay um, ditching, you know, the Jerimoyama in uh, the kneeling process. I've even spoken to Celestial Church of Christ members that have it, that take they take issue with the Holy Michael uh, whenever we pray. Right? It's almost as if, like, anytime they, they see you know you're about to pray and say the word Holy Michael, there's a little bit of cringe that they have. Right? Um, there's a little bit of 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 um, I think. Uh, uh, I guess an attitude towards the liturgy that either they don't take it seriously enough um, and or it, maybe they don't view it as important enough. And I think, Brasha, you were saying something earlier, like maybe it's not the most important thing. And I, and I, and I want to challenge that a bit. It, it might end up that you are right. But it, like I said earlier, one of the things that made uh, that made that philosophy I found very interesting is how a person writes, right? Being very significant as what a person writes. And I can understand, you know, someone looking at calligraphy or someone writing, right? Let's say I'm a teacher, I'm grading two papers, right? And I, I, I asked both students to write an essay on the same thing, maybe on the Civil War, all right? And they both do it. But one's penmanship, right? You know, one essay, the penmanship is impeccable. It's it's beautiful, right? And then the other one, it's like, okay, he got the job done, but I'm not really like, you know, the penmanship isn't bad, but already there's a distinction, right? And you know, if if one might look at both papers and 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 the attitude might be, well, I, I, you know, what does it matter how beautiful the writing is? He got the job. He got the job done, right? And I think that the same can be said for liturgy, right? And uh, Brother Dami was saying something about if we look at churches, right? Um, 
even the ones that might say they're non-liturgical, right? That we will find aspects of liturgy in one way, shape, or form. But sure. I think where the issue the issue there might be they think just like a person that might have the attitude towards the, the person with great impeccable that takes penmanship and takes their time to write, they might have that same attitude that do you really need to do all of this? Isn't the point of isn't the point of writing to pass information? That's done. Why are you wasting time with you know perfuming your your writing? The same way they can also say, um, why are we doing all of this extra stuff? Um, Jesus died. It's all. It's just about getting closer, closer, or communing with God, right? Why are we doing all of these things? So I'm curious. I want to find out what is your what are what is your response to such such a a, a mindset? Yeah, I mean, um, beauty is a is a virtue. Doing things, you know, in uh, you know, for and you know, style points is a thing, right? Doing right. things with with style, with that's you know, more impeccable, more excellence is something that we all appreciate and um, is 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 an ideal. But at the end of the day, the the reason I say it's not the most important thing is that the content is the most important thing. So to use your analogy, right? Your analogy kind of it assumes that the 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 content is you know, is, could vary. So if the, if I, if I could write something, you know, let's say I, I wrote something very beautifully, right? My penmanship was impeccable, mm. but, you know, to, to use an analogy on the civil war, but, but the, but my, the content was lacking, then it doesn't really matter how great or how impeccable my penmanship was. Right. The content course. wasn't there. Of course. You know what right. I mean? So that's, that's what I mean by, Gotcha. The, the, that it's not the most important thing. Now, gotcha. if the content, you know, if, if we're judging both things, uh, if, if, if both writings are, you know, essentially the same, but the, you know, the only, the difference was that, you know, one author, you know, wrote it like, you know, Shakespeare, you know, you, of course, that, that elevates the message, you know, the content even more. That elevates uh, that author, you know, that first author, above the second one and that's mm -hmm. kind of i guess that's how i would uh i, I would describe it right the, that's how i would describe what liturgy brings to worship it elevates it um, as, as you were speaking i was thinking about those who make the arguments as to you know how we light the candle top down bottom up right it's like you know that's okay it, it's a it's a it's an it's a beauty part of of the liturgical worship but I guess my my thing is how important is that? I mean, clearly a lot of people find that that's very important, and that's what I guess I'm trying to explore. How important is this, or is the is it a matter of judging both, um, or or is it a matter you know separately and 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 competing one against the other, or is it a matter of just looking at the whole thing in a holistic type of way? I don't know if Brother Dami has something he wants to say about that. Uh, you know. That's that's a great question um, because when you start to think about it, just going back to your initial point, which is, hey, a lot of people don't think liturgy is that important. It's becoming a burden. Why do we have to do this? Oh, it's Psalm 51. I remember inviting a colleague of mine who is, is born, raised here, and to my church. And uh, <laughs> for her, and a husband and kids, it was a very strange sight. People going in spirit and all of this, the kneeling, the standing, the psalms. 
And so later on, of course, after the service, oh, it's a beautiful service, it's great as this. But you really want to get the truth, give people about a year and then revisit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then later revisit and she goes, you know what? And that church, like, I can't tell you how many times you people have to say our Lord's Prayer. Like, why the heck do you have to repeat it so many times? Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to do that? So when it started coming out, the truth really started becoming evident then. It was too much. It's redundant. It's monotonous. It's things of that nature. And you will even find people who in this church and so-called elders who have in fact proposed that, why can't we get rid of some of the Psalms? Why can we cut this down? Why can we cut that down? Mm. And, you know, here is the thing I want to say about that. There is nothing surprising, nothing. There's a reason why the Bible says there is nothing new under heaven. And we keep trying to prove to God that there is something new, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But why did Adam and Eve transgress? Because, if you think about it, the first liturgy was given to them in the Garden of Eden. Mm. These are the circumstances under which my presence will bear with you. So long as you abide with these rules I have given you, my presence will never depart from you. And it was the most intimate relationship you can ever imagine. Yeah. So much so where we're told that God walked in the cool of a garden and Adam could hear his footsteps the way I would hear your footsteps. But Adam and Eve, like we are today, grew restless because there is something innate in that fallen nature of ours that simply determines the rules and guidelines of God are sort of a straight jacket. Man wants belonging, but man also wants freedom. The paradox in which we abide is consistent. It's like, you know, take a single person. Single people are looking for the partner, the wife, the husband. The moment they get married, it's the other way around. I wish I was single, there's too much trouble, there's too much this, too much that. Not for the newlyweds, it's a different story or for those who've got great marriages. I'm actually saying, these are the stories you find. So there's this consistent paradox in that on the one hand, we want to worship something or someone, we recognize that there is something greater than us. So whether it is God we're worshiping or a deity or an idol, we don't care, but man recognizes that there is something greater or desires to give his fealty to something greater than himself. Mm. But at the same token, he also wants to be free and completely unburdened by that responsibility. And it's this dichotomy, like light and darkness, that lives in us every single time that continues to drive us. You know, one of the great Bible passages that I think was ever documented in this Bible is that Romans chapter 7 treatise, mm. where Paul goes into the details about, again, the dichotomy and, and the contrast right. and the contradiction of the flesh and the spirit. You know, in me is the desire to worship God, but right there in this desire is also this thing that hates God, that desires to go the other way. And who can save me from this body of death? So when you think about it in that sense, it's not surprising that on the one hand, we want to be close to God, but on the other hand, we want to be free to do it on our own time, our own way. I want to be able to read the psalm today. Tomorrow, if I don't want to do the psalm, so be it. I want to be able to kneel and bow my head at the jingling of the bell. But you know what? Sometimes I don't want to stand there and go, hey, what's up, G? Instead of just going all this holy, holy, holy. And that is the contradiction and the constant consternation between light and darkness that lives in us. So mm. it doesn't surprise me. But here is the thing. You know, there is, there is also a, a Bible verse, I think it's Psalm 47 verse 2, says, For the Lord Most High is terrible. 
he's a great king over all the earth. Mm. And when you think about that, the Lord Most High, this Lord God Jehovah is terrible. And you think about the word terrible, you know, it, it encompasses so much. It encompasses the grandeur and the grandiosity of his majesty. It, it, it encompasses his beauty, his love, his mercy, but also this very, very dreadful nature that you can't even begin to comprehend. And mm. so when you have a God like that, how is man ever going to be able to approach unto such holiness? You can't even begin to contemplate it. How do you even contemplate that? We see angels and we shudder. How much more these God whom angels cannot even see. So in order for us to have a way to this unapproachable holiness, this unapproachable light, if you will, there has to be a way. Now, of course, we'll say enter Christ. And yes, Christ becomes that way. But also, he becomes that way in not that he nullifies the liturgy, which is what people are always trying to make Christ do. Right, oh, at the entrance right. of Christ, everything is nullified. That's nonsense. The right. first thing he tells us very clearly is, listen, people, because I know your heart and I know the temptations you carry. I have not come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish my father. If anything, I am here to fulfill everything that is him. And there is nothing I will say or do that will ever contradict what he has. So in that sense, um, the importance of liturgy cannot be overstated. Um, in that, number one, you know, this whole assembling together for one, this, this whole fellowship you have. And I think Celestial Church of Christ has something very, very interesting in the way we approach God. And that's why I love the sort of marriage between orthodoxy and, and, and the spiritual realm that we also call the Pentecostal experience. Mm. Because when you think about it, think about our services. On the one hand, you can say it's repetitive. You can say they're listeners. It's the same psalms, it's the same process, the same jingling of the bell and everything, and you can know it by heart, and that's the end of it. But if you truly, which is the other context, the other side of the coin, if you truly are worshiping God in spirit, then even those things that just seem liturgical and those things that seem like litanies and formulaic take on a spiritual presence filled with fire, filled with breath, filled and animated. And it makes it different every life. time. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There have been times when I have read, I'll give you an example. You know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, when we say Eyiba, Eyiba. To me before, Eyiba was no big deal. But one day it was there and the Lord was telling me, do you even know what this means? And I looked at it and it means, you know, God of mercy, God mm -hmm. of mercy, God of mercy. And instantly, even when we say, the spirit prompts me, bow your head. Mm -hmm. You're not before. And if you think about it, the 24 elders are bowing their heads before this God. This is in heaven. The angels cover their faces with their wings because God forbid they look into this unapproachable light and bow their head saying, holy, 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 before this great majesty we call God. How much more we who are made even a little lower than the angels, we who are putrid and wretched from, from head to toe, how much more then must we reverence this God? And even though the Bible talks about the new Jerusalem, there will be no this, there will be no that, there will be no temple because Christ himself will be the temple, there will be no sun or moon because the Lord himself will be the light therein. But even there, where he's saying he's removing the veil, he's removing the four walls because finally we have entered into the ultimate temple himself, which is God in Christ, even there, 
there is order and there is liturgy. So the idea that liturgy is unimportant comes from one place. It comes from the same restless desire to always contend with God. And this is innate in man. We don't want it. We want to reach him. We want to touch him. But at the same time, we don't want him coming close. And I'll just round up with this. Think about when Moses was told that the Lord was approaching. And he told, the Lord told him, listen, go tell this people, I'm coming upon the mountain. Don't come near me, not even an animal. No one should touch it, lest the Lord should break out against them. The Lord appears on the mountain. This people desired to hear from God. And they heard the voice of God. But it was so terrible to them that what did they say afterwards? They went to Moses, listen, thank you. We appreciate it. But henceforth, please tell your God, don't come to us anymore. Right. Feel free to speak directly to him and you come give us the message. Mm -hmm. So exactly. So it goes back again to this contradiction. On the one hand, we want to see God. We want to be able to touch him. But the moment we even get close to it, it's like, ah, no, 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 too close. I want to get far away again. And that is why man is consistently coming towards God and coming away from God. So for me, this desire to want to go away from liturgy or this desire that continues to say, hey, our liturgical practices are too burdensome, comes from no other place but from the same place that desires, again, separation from God. The two aren't the same, because if it's truly in the Spirit of God, then how can the Spirit contradict what honors and glorifies God? Right. Just my thoughts, anyway. Okay. Uh, I know Brother Shea wants to add anything to that. No, um, I think maybe the nothing, nothing to what Brad Damia said. I, I, I entirely agree, and I, you know, and, and it's a really uh, very interesting perspective, you know. And I think I, I definitely agree with the perspective that, um, you know, the it, I think the, the maybe the kind of rebellion against liturgy comes from this. Um, the definitely, I think, comes from you know man's desire to worship God, but according to how you know what's convenient how he would like to do it, which, mm -hmm. you know, would vary day to day based on our mood. Today, I feel like doing this. Tomorrow, I feel like doing that, which I, I, I believe would lessen the or diminish one's ability to experience God through worship. Um, the only, I would just take the other side of that and say, the one of the, 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 the things you have to guard against with liturgy right and i'm not trying to necessarily steer the conversation in this direction but is the uh is that it, it also lends itself to you know man uh, uh adding adding his own uh you know people can get carried away and begin to uh mm. th add things into it you know oh this this also would be good it, it, and it begins to lose the simplicity. Let me put, I guess mm. what I'm trying to say is that the, one of the problems that I've, I've observed in liturgical practices as well, and I, and I will focus specifically on, on our church, right. is the tendency that man also then tends to take what is meant to be simple and add complexity, which is the, our, the other part of our nature, mm. right? Is never to just leave the simple simple, but leave then well to add complexity right. and add extra on it in this you know, in, in this way of uh, trying to appear even more, you know, uh, that, oh, this is even Advanced. more spiritual. This right. is even more uh, holy. And, and I think that's why, you know, God knowing this tendency, you know, for example, is why, you know, John, for example, in Revelation is, is cautioned, you know, or, or about adding, you know, 
or, or subtracting from what is given. Mm. That's it. And I love, I love the fact, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, please go ahead. No, I love, I love what you just said because it's so important and, and I love that. And I always, you know, talk about the simplicities in Christ. Second Corinthians 11, three, you know, also reads, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that is in the danger that lies in liturgy. You're absolutely right, especially in a church like ours where because if it's just liturgy and it's just orthodoxy, then it's simple. Here is what the document states. Mm. Here are the rules. Here are the tenets. Here are the doctrines given to us. However many years ago, whether they be 70, 75, or 100 or 200, nobody changes it. It's very simple. You're just going back to a document. But because of the Pentecostal or spiritual aspect of it, exactly, where prophecy and things like that move, suddenly we start to take liberties and we start to add and remove and try to conform things. You know, you know it's like people will get a message. Somebody has told you, a prophet has told you, all right, here is a message for you. But suddenly, I'm going to take my message and now turn it into a doctrine of celestial, exactly. which is not the case. Yep. And there is so much of that that is going on, and that's where we now start to sort of cross that line from liturgy and true worship and going into the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's where we start to lie. Because now it's not just about the worship. Because if it's about the worship and the intent of the worship, I'll give you an example. Just tonight, I was in church. We had... Um, you know, a man who used to be a Muslim and his wife, who is a Christian, who are now devoted. And this person who used to be a Muslim is now probably one of our most devout church members. He's been in the church now for over a decade. Um, but they had a memorial service for his mother-in-law today. They invited friends, some of whom are Christian, some of whom I believe are Muslim. During the, um, um, as, as we were proceeding out, we were all lining up, and of course, you know how we line up in celestial according to your rank, and of course, those who are not even celestians or wearing mufti are all the way in the back. But there was a young man who, just because he was not very convenient in the passage, was sort of lining up behind me and between myself and another superior prophet. Now, in celestial, that's a no-no. It's a no-no. And instantly, what you will find is somebody will quickly grab him. Oh, no, you can't do you can't, you can't do that. You have to move to the back. And I didn't say anything. And I was waiting to see if any of our sides on our sides women will do that. In the moment, nobody did. Nobody called his attention. The prayer was done. And we all chanted hallelujahs and everything went in, greeted, hugged, embraced. But what I loved about it, it's not the fact that we disobeyed a certain law. It's not the fact that we broke a doctrine of celestial church, but it's the fact that in that moment, we recognized that the humanity and the welcoming nature of Christ supersedes everything. You can give laws, you can give doctrines, you can give all these things afterwards, but the first impression should not be me making you feel less than or making you feel uninvited, or telling you, oh, this is a church of rules and rules and this and this. Oh, wait a minute, you're holding a black bag, take that off. Oh, wait a minute, you're doing this? No, let people worship. Let people come to Christ. Again, going back to the simplicity that is in Christ. And then we can start to introduce all the rest of it. So I guess my point is, just going back to what you said, 
losing that simplicity and the temptation to always add, going back to what I said initially, which is always this thing in man's nature, that God says A, I want to do A, but I want to add a little bit of B. God says one, well, I want to do one A, one B, one C. It's never just simply what God wants. There is something in us that either wants to add to what God has said or to take away what God has said, which is the idolatry in us and that nature in fallen man that consistently wants to sit on God's throne and call himself equal to God. And at the end of the day, wasn't that what the serpent sold to Adam and Eve? That by eating this, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So I just find, I just wanted to, again, to sort of support what you said, that I completely agree with you that that is one of the greatest dangers in, in a church like ours, and we have to be very mindful of it. I love this um, because <laughs> I, I and, and also I love, I love the fact that, you know, the fact that we've been in this church for a long time is really shining through in these conversations because we're, we're especially for me, Brother Dami, you have almost a, you have a, you have a story for just about almost every, <laughs> <laughs> you know, any of these uh, themes that we're touching on. But, but I want to continue in the same vein because, um, and I'll be, I'll be specific here. So for me, I've had conversations with, you know, members of the church about, let's take an aspect of our worship, which is uh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, Holy Michael, right, uh. as an example, right? I've had conversations with even members of our church that have been in the church for many years, right, still have an issue, right? They take issue with that. And I know that we are working, you know, we are working with the premise, of course, of, you know, man's um, innate uh, 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 orientation to be rebellious, right? Um, but can one also say that added to that is also uh, lack of understanding, right? Not understand because when I when I you know when I sit down and and I and I think about the liturgy in this church and. You know, take a look at take a look at it. Maybe from I zoom out and I'm just taking a look at it. You know, it, it seems like a dramatization of some sort, right? It's like we're 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 acting something out, right? Right. And what we're acting out to me is something that's beyond. That's I guess happening in the heavenly realm. But that's what we're that's what we are dramatizing here, right? An example for me would be let's say Jeru Moyama. One, one one there was a day we were singing Jeru Moyama in, and a funny thought entered into my head that, you know, the 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 translation of Jeru Moyama, right? The host of angels are full of joy and. Uh, in heaven. In heaven. And the whole time I'm thinking, what does that have to do with what we're doing right now? <laughs> like, you know, okay, I mean, that's great information that the, but where, what is the connection here, right? We're coming in. Why isn't the song, oh, well, we're all, we're all excited. We're all filing in. This is a great day. We've come to worship God. What, why are we being told what the host of angels are doing? <laughs> Right. I, I mean, if you guys understand where I'm coming from mm -hmm. with this. Yeah, so, yeah. but then it began to open up to me that, oh, I see. This is a dramatization of, you know, when we resurrect and a, a, a you know, I guess how, how the heavenlies 
uh, uh, revere God, right? The altar and, and things start to, you know, t- it, it's all of a sudden, it's like you start to see things in a whole different, different way, right? So I say all of that to mean this, that w- would you agree that perhaps one of the reasons we, we tend to maybe wrestle against certain aspects of the liturgy is, is also because of our lack of understanding? And if so, where how does how does one begin to to um to uh what's the word how does one begin to to gain the understanding that's necessary because just like you both said we we sort of fall into the danger in this church when things where things get too esoteric at times where it's oh i have a i have a revelation you know and it's like oh if you don't do this the angels are are ready to cut you down oh if you don't do this you're delaying your blessing well that might very well be but i don't re- i mean that's something you know that i don't know yeah that's a but, claim anybody could make about anything right? right exactly but then how does one understand liturgical practices even because I'll give another example and then I'll leave it to you guys. When you were speaking, when you both were speaking about, you know, um, liturgical worship and how the simplicity of it and, you know, how man might tend to add to it and, you know, um, due to our rebellious nature and how, you know, important it is. I was thinking about, let's say, you know, we were alive in, 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 in the, in the, what, in the 18th century, let's say Beethoven's alive and he just composed like a great symphony, right? When he gathers all the instruments together and everyone who's playing, you know, the, the harps, the, the string instruments, the brass, all of that stuff, right? He's already notated everything, right? And everybody has to play every, you know, play their part and play the note as written. You know, in those moments, no one's thinking, well, Beethoven, I think this, this would sound better if I just pluck this note. You know, this is, a e, this is an E flat. I think a G sharp is better here, right? Like, right. no, it, it seems that we understand it on some level. Um, and I think if we can sort of begin making that you know, communicating on, on, a, on a certain level in languages that we understand, which I think might be what Christ was trying to do whenever he would speak parables, right? Trying to, trying to you know, um, make them understand it in, 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 in everyday things that happened around them in ways that they were able to understand rather than speaking more in esoteric fashion, you know, perhaps that might also help bring the light of, of understanding to those who are in the dark. What do you guys think about that proposition? I'm going to let Brother Shane go first. Okay. I say that because I'm very, very passionate about this. And if I start, I'm going to shut <laughs> up. So uh, I'll, I'll let him go first. I uh, told you this was going to be a long one. <laughs> I didn't believe you when you said it, but now I think I'm beginning to believe that. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. You know, I think um, one of the, I think, uh, challenges that the church faces and I think will continue to face uh, kind of as a result of um, the, uh, I would say like the kind of culture, right? The, the, the traditions that the, the church grew out of, right? The place where it grew out of um, uh, is, is, you know, wasn't a one where a lot of things were just written down and documented, mm. you know, um, which is unfortunate. And so, um, you know, because, you know, uh, across Africa, really the way we kind of, the, the way information is carried about 
um, is is through oral tradition and things like that. I mean, even our constitution is based off of you know oral uh, kind of a, a recollection of memory, right? right. Uh, the, the church's constitution. It's you know someone says, hey, can you you know kind of give us a history of the church, and then the pastor founder kind of recollects the sequence of events. Um, and you know, many times when I read the constitution, I'm like, oh man, you know. This was a great. This would have been a great time for someone to ask a clarifying question here, mm-hmm. you know, or this yeah. would, you know, I, you know, I wish somebody would have asked for an elaboration here, things like that. But you know, as a result, but because that that wasn't that's not the tradition of you know, uh, the, the 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 place where the church grew out of, uh, a lot of stuff is kind of lost to to, to time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and therefore esoteric and maybe subject to interpretation. Um, but you know, there the what what can we then use um, to as as a way of explanation of the church's liturgy is to rely on on the revelation of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And and say, okay, well, here are the 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 comparisons that we have, you know, that 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 demonstrate this, you know, the practice of this liturgy, how it applies, et cetera, et cetera. Right? This is this is what we have, as well as you know, as uh, as much as we 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 gleaned from. Uh, the kind of you know what the what's in the constitution based off of what the the pastor founder says that's but in honest right that still leaves you know a lot of wiggle room right, right. that let's be let's be honest that still leaves you know room for for uh, you know kind of different interpretations different and, interpretations right. which the church as a result kind of still deals with to this day because of that right because you know people choose to kind of interpret things in their in their own way um so you know i as far as like what can we do to to make things you know more simple less esoteric i think it's 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 being able to tie the the church's liturgy to uh the revealed knowledge we have right of the of of the judeo-christian god right um because other than that really what you'll be left with is kind of people's own uh, interpretation, or I think this, or you know, I, I believe it. What what was meant was this, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not something you can build, uh, you know, a foundation on, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, as it relates to the you know Jehovah Jesus Christ Holy Michael thing, the, that, if, if that's the, that was the revelation that was given, that's what we that's that's the liturgy. That's part of the liturgy of the church. Um, right. That that can you know it's not up to oh, well, whether I think oh well maybe it should be Holy Spirit. It, was that the revelation that was given about how this is how to pray? No, then, then you know, it, it, that's what, what was given is Jehovah Jesus Christ, Holy Michael, when you pray. And, and that's it. That's how, we, you know, like Brother was saying, that's the document. That's, that's, that's what we, we go with, right? Um, but, but now, but then how do you, yeah. how do you, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, and which I think we do quite well in this church, actually, because you know, there are people that have like a, what you would call, I don't want to say obscurance type mindset where that's what it is and that's what it is. Deal with it. Kind of like, that's just what, you know, that's what's given to us, which I think we do quite well in this church. But I, I, I'm i trying, I guess what I'm trying to aim at is in that example, why Holy Michael? Like somebody might actually have that, you know, they want to know, right? Um, and I, I get what you're saying because we don't have the like, right? In 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 if we if we consult, you know, the scriptures and we look at the text and say, hey, you know, I don't see that here. But 
how can we and 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 really what they have a problem with with the holy michael being there is the fact that they think we are equating michael right. with to the with, father with, and the with, son to the father and the son which Correct. i think now that that this is what room. i mean by the you know because we do not you know the church did not grow out of a culture of where where people wrote uh you know let, let's look at judaism right you know in addition to the 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 torah right the book of the law right, right? judaism is also informed a lot by what by the talmud mm -hmm. which are the rabbinical writings right. rabbis opining thinking deeply right read uh, you know in their meditation and their contemplations and writing and expounding right it's it's effectively them expounding on 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 scripture right so also the the early church um had that tradition as well the church in the in the in the western world you know had that tradition you know the, we have the writings of jerome the writings of irenaeus right, right. Um, that he wrote against the marcionites his book against heresies mm -hmm. you have the writings of saint augustine of hippo um, mm -hmm. and so many 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 of the Origin, church fathers right. that they were in their reflections their contemplations their their them you know uh, their elaborations on scripture we lack that which is a challenge to a very liturgical church and a church mm -hmm. that is full of, as Bradami said, where someone can just get up and say, oh, I received the revelation now, we must all do this. That was one of the challenges of the early church, mm -hmm. such that the, the apostles and the church fathers had to begin to write, you know, against a lot of these revelations. You know, people, many people don't know, there were a lot of epistles written that, right. that used to be read in the early church, the epistle of Thomas, you know, a lot of things that were read by, you know, the, a lot of epistles written by the Gnostics right. that would be sent out to be read in many churches until many of the fathers, the church fathers said, uh, you know what? No, we need to, you know, we, we need to, to, to return, weed out these, to right. weed out a lot of these, these kind of false interpretations, right? Mm. Irenaeus is against heresies is one of those that says, right. okay, we need to go back to, you know, what, what, what did we receive from the apostles? And let's let's expound on that. So you know, for me, you know, I I I, I you know, the, the Jehovah Jesus Christ, Holy Michael, is one of those kind of things where you we you know, I think if we had a culture, uh, if a church had emerged out of a culture of 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 that kind of where people wrote and expounded um, upon, we would you know, there would be you could communicate the reason because I do believe there is a very biblical reason for it. Um, but there is. I, but I think it's because <laughs> we do not have that culture that it becomes this, it, it, it leaves mm. room for esoteric interpretations. Right. To pervade, gotcha. You know, it's, it's, and that's a great, great point you bring up. And I think when you think about the inception of the church, the founder was by all account illiterate, mm. at least as concerned uh, masses and subjects of, of, of you know, literary understanding and intellectual understanding as concerns right. the spirit he was one of the most gifted people and i had the good fortune of having at least two or three encounters with him mm. uh, when i was much younger uh, he came for a revival in our church which is now horeb cathedral in nigeria and i remember there was a kid who his entire life was sort of paralyzed i don't remember if it was the right or the left leg but they had this sort of major metal thing that was tied around his leg to sort of keep it steady and he worked with a very very bad limp mm. that was affecting his, his spine and i'll never forget papa was standing there and it was one of those where he looked at the kid and he said tedrumomi 
Mm. And he continued his revival. And I will never forget at the end of his revival, he told them to take the stuff off his leg and to tell the kid to stand up. And this kid stood up and walked in my mm. presence. Mm. I also remember he was in the church preaching one day. And during his sermon, this girl just kept screeching and screaming. I mean, it was suffering cat. It was horrible. And the whole time, Papa wasn't moved. And they tried to go grab her and the side men tried to take her. I told him, no, leave her alone. And she's screaming and writhing. And suddenly, I will never, ever forget this. I must have been probably, I don't know, seven or eight. A black bird flies out of her mouth and out the window. Mm. And she passes out on the floor. So, you see things like that and you hear the stories and you hear these things about the dead being raised and all these things in this church and it seems fantastical. It would have been great to have people who could document that, I mean, beyond what we have right now, order of service and things of that nature and, you know, the pamphlet that thinks about 25 or 30 page pamphlet that is a constitution, that proper documentation would help. Absolutely. Because this is one of the reasons why they say, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Yep. It, it's so much history. You know, Brad, Dami, not to interrupt you, but, you know, a lot of these stories I've heard growing up of people that bore eyewitness accounts, but mm. all it's all we ever have now is people recollecting. There is no, right. you know, unfortunately, you know, it's, we don't have the kind of one mm. of the things I loved about, you know, uh, I when I I always tell people that, you know, uh, one of the reasons I love the gospel of Luke is that at the very beginning, Luke tells you why he's writing the gospel. Mm -hmm. right. He gives you his motive. He says, he says you know, even though um, the, 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 and the narrative of Christ, the entire story is well known and has been circulated among the church, he says, I wanting to put everything in chronological order, having had full understanding, despite knowing that we're all familiar with the story, I mm -hmm. set out, Theophilus, to write this and give it to you. Right. In the same way yeah. he chronicles the, the, the journey of Paul in, in the book of Acts mm. to chronicle the different things that Paul did. You know, like when they land on the island of the barbarians and he's bitten by a mm -hmm. snake and he doesn't die. Mm. We, did, we do not have those things. And right. so all we're left with is recollections. Which I think begs also because the, the, the talent is there, the gift is there. Right. Um, and we, I think this is the generation that has been called to that mission. Uh, but before I go to that, I just want to go back to what you said, because I've heard this thing contested ad nauseum, this whole thing <laughs> over Jesus Christ, Holy right, Michael. Right. And, you know, I go back to the whole thing, my people perish because of a lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize about churches, because, again, you know, the Muslims might question why do we have so many churches? A Muslim, it's one Quran, it's one belief in Allah, it's one messenger in the Prophet Muhammad, and that's it. But for Christians, we have Episcopalians, we have the Roman Catholic, we have the Catholic, we have the Baptist, we have the Redeemed, we have the Celestial. It's all over the place, and everybody claims theirs is the way, and there seems to be schisms even in the church. Mm. But here is what I tell people. When you take the U.S. Army, you take the Navy, take the U.S. Marine, you take the police corps, you take all this, the CIA, you take the FBI. They all serve the same purpose, to protect this country. Right. But everybody's given a completely different mandate and a completely different rule and ways in which they do it. The jurisdictions are different, the approach is different, but they all have the same common cause, protecting the country. Christian churches are the same way. 
there are all these different arms, which is all about bringing people to Christ, but in different parts and different ways. So every church, there's a reason why the Bible was written to the church in Philadelphia, to the church in Laodicea, and so on and so mm. forth, to the seven churches. And each church was peculiar, had a very unique personality, and also had a unique angel assigned to it. Mm. The church was one. Christ is one. It is entirely the bride of Christ. But everybody will not be brought to Christ the exact same way. You know, there's this whole talk about not everybody's called to be a Celestine. If you're not called to be a Celestine, you cannot abide in the church. Right. There are some people whose salvation will be through the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. some through the redeemed, some through the Baptist. And for those for whom it is celestial, it has to be celestial. There was a woman and a man who knew her was actually the one who was telling her story. He said she left the church and she was tired of all the usual nonsense that was going on. And she said, I'm done with this. And she went to the redeemed church. I said, for three weeks, the pastor in that church just kept watching her. And after the third Sunday, he called after the service and says, madam, um, you know, welcome to our church. How do you find the church? He goes, I love it. It's this, it's that. You know, I came from a church where there was so much trouble and I love all this about it. And she goes, you're welcome. He goes, but I'm going to tell you something. He goes, you have to return back to your church. And she was devastated. What are you talking about? He goes, because for three Sundays, your angel has been telling you to return back there because he did not follow you to this church that you were assigned to Celestial Church of Christ, and that's where your salvation is. He goes, listen, I love and I welcome addition, uh, parishioners in my church. He goes, but I can never go against what the Lord is telling me. So I'm just telling you that as much as you like to be a member here, your angel, your salvation assigned to you in that church. Now, what am I getting to? This old Jehovah Jesus Christ, Holy Michael. Every church is given a key. Every church is given a spiritual key. And you go back to the mandate and the remit that was given to Papa Shofa. It had nothing to do with just baptisms and bringing people to Christ. Like the same way where police officers can go to certain things, but there are far more dangerous areas where the U.S. Marine will go into that not even the Navy or the Army can go into because these are very specialized types of terrorists they're dealing with. So in this particular case, in Celestial Church of Christ, Papa was told, listen, there are people whom Satan has locked up in bondage. I'm not talking about people who don't know me or people who are unbelievers. No, 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 no. These are people who are held stark in the bottomless pit of darkness, whom Satan himself has placed his mark upon. I am giving you the power to challenge Satan and to set them free. So this is one of the most dangerous assignments possible. So what is the key I'm giving you? Exodus 6.3, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. It is the war cry of God's name. It's not just calling God. It's calling, it's the war cry of God's name, this Jehovah. He says, by that name I have not introduced myself to anybody, but to you, Moses, whom I'm given the great duty to go set my people free from bondage and to take them through the wildernesses of temptations and trials that serpent is going to place upon them. I am letting you know me and call me by that name. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, Jesus Christ doesn't need any explaining. We know why Christ is there. We know why we use that name. But mm -hmm. Holy Michael, the one we keep challenging every single time, think about this. He is described in Daniel as the defender of the saints. Mm -hmm. He's also the same one who is there in Daniel 10. He goes, listen to this. 
But then he said to me, fear not Daniel, Daniel 10 from verse 12, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand as to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which stood me one and twenty-one days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remember, now think about this, who is speaking here? That's angel Gabriel. Gabriel, mm-hmm. Gabriel was which stood by the enemy. And it took Michael to come and clear the path for Gabriel. Mm -hmm. So when the Lord is now sending this church, not for, as my father would say, bread and butter missionaries, but to go into the very depths of darkness, to deal with principalities and powers in high places, to confront Satan himself, you arm yourself not just with any ordinary key, but with a specific key so that when you call upon this, Jehovah, the war name of God, Jesus Christ, and Holy Michael, the defender of the saints, and the archangel in heaven, I come because I have come to deliver. I have come to conquer. And when you think about what happened in Revelation 12, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. When the devil fought and Michael and his angels fought back, they defeated him with the blood of the lamb, with the word of their testimony. And who was doing it? It was Michael, right. the word of the lamb. That word is Christ. That blood is Jesus Christ which abides in the Father and the Father in him. And they did it with Michael also heading that. So it's not a disrespect. It is not a a, 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 a man-created mandate. This is a specific key that as a celestial, when you call these three names, a certain key is unlocked and something is given to you. But we don't understand it, and that's why we always get shy. We'll go out, oh, I'm going to say Jehovah, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to call Holy Michael because I can call on an angel. It's a lack of understanding. My, right. peri- my people perish mm. for lack of knowledge. So th- this is the sum of the things I'm saying. And to your point, Shane, is if these things were properly documented, then we could have a better way to sort of contend and defend our faith as we're called to do in the book of Jude. But because it's not there, and a lot of people don't understand, people start to stutter when people challenge them. There's nothing to challenge. There's nothing unbiblical about it. Absolutely. And, you know, this is is one of the things where, you know, as a result of this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that is, you know, the the, the examples you cite are the same examples that I cite in, in expositing, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, only Michael. Right. But because, you know, it's left up to individuals to do it as opposed to, mm. you know, if I, if I go to the Catholic church and I ask them a question, it's either in their catechism, it's somewhere. I don't need right. to ask this one priest to give me his interpretation, even though his interpretation could be correct. But, in, you know, unfortunately, when you leave it up to, you know, when it is not documented in a certain place, Right, you can ask seven, exactly. It's not. There's no mm-hmm. textual expo, you know, uh, exposition of these of these kind of things that people would ask questions about. Then it be you know you can ask seven people and you'll get seven different responses. And then you begin to wonder, wait, what's going on here? You know, is this like you say? Is this something that needs to be that that even the the people in the church aren't aren't sure about? You know, as opposed to oh mm-hmm. no, look, this is this is an exposition. This has already been here. It is. You're good to go. That's a great point, and I think we can do a better job. Maybe that's one of the takeaways from this conversation, mm. is how do we stare and how do we begin that work to actually start documenting this thing so that there is at least a single truth 
regardless of where you are and the four ends of the earth, there is a single truth and a single answer and a single explanation of these things. And you don't even have to sit there and, you know, understand theologically how to defend it. Rather, here is the book, read it, understand it. And then if you want to have further conversations, we can. But that's a great point. And I think we can probably do a better job of that. But it's just something that I think... Yeah, go ahead. Could it also be that, you know... When looking at the Catholic Church as an example, right, they have a long-standing tradition of 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 letters, right, of writings, all the way to Peter and Paul, and and perhaps that was the point I think one of you guys were making, uh, you know, that the pastor founder, had he been that type of a person, perhaps the tradition would would have followed, um, you know, in a generational aspect, and the fact that he is not right is is also i guess part of the stigma that we're dealing with that he was not is part of the the stigma that we're dealing with but his predecessor uh no not predecessor his successor right he he was a man of of letters right he was a man right. that that wrote and in fact because of him is why i guess some semblance of 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 structure i guess i dare say exists in the church but right. um now, in saying all of this, who who is tasked, you know, with this? Because th this has to become a tradition of sorts. It's not something that one person does or two people do. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, then for another uh, 80 years, that's all we have. Because what we see in the tradition of the old churches is that there's always someone to pick up where one left off, right? right. You know, she yeah, like she went as far as like Tertullian, you know, um, you have Tertullian, you have, by the time you get to like Augustine, he's continuing that. And many others, you get to, you get to Aquinas, you get to Anselm, mm -hmm. even to this very moment, right? It's, it's very hard pressed, for, you know, for you to find in the Catholic church, perhaps someone who's an archbishop that has not written something, right? right that right. has not contributed something. It's almost like a requirement, um, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a man of the cloth in those denominations, right? And I guess what I'm, what I'm seeing here in our church is almost like, what I'm seeing is also, well, if the, if the spirit puts it in your heart to do it, then do it kind of attitude. It's not more of the, the attitude of, no, this actually is a, a prerequisite or a requirement of the men, you know, the man, the, the, the man you know, that's taking the cloth, if you guys understand what I'm saying. Right, right. yeah. I do, I, you know, and and you, if you, you know, the importance of that can't be, can't be you know, overstated. Even if, you, even, even if you look at the Old Testament, God himself, right, the Judeo-Christian God, is a God of letters. Right. You know, he would say to Moses, write this down. Mm. You know, right. write this and recite it into the hearing of Joshua. Mm. Have right. Joshua, you know, teach the people this song and have Joshua tell, recite this to the people. The very liturgy we're, we're talking about today, it's only because it's actually one of the things that is written down that mm. allows it to endure. Had it just been, hey, the Spirit revealed this stuff to us and then, you know, let's just communicate it by word of mouth. The things that Bradami are talking about would have already taken place in a much more serious manner. Where people say, well, let's start cutting this one out because, because then there's no standard. There's right. nothing to really back it because, you know, after a while, it, it just becomes, you know, let's just do what we please. I, one of the, the most, you know, uh, powerful scriptures for me is if you read the book of um, uh, uh, 
Ezra, I believe, if, I rec mm. if I'm recalling this correctly, is that, you know, we're told that when the people came back from captivity, you know, the walls were destroyed, everything was broken, and they were excavating, and they find the book of the law. And mm. we're told that when uh, Nehemiah reads it, it says the people begin to weep mm. because they had forgotten. Mm. Right. Right? It says, it says the, the, it, it, the, the entire nation wept because as they're, remind, they, they're reading and they're, rem, they're reminded of their history, what God had done for them in Egypt, hmm. the battles they had won against the Ammonites, the Amorites, the hmm. settling of Canaan. Every, and they, they wept because they had forgotten their God. They'd forgotten the old ways, their hmm. practices. Hmm. That's the importance I think it also it I think it also happened yep. in the time of David too when they had found some of the text and and then they realized right. wow we have sinned right? we've sinned, exactly we've been right. violating this whole time this whole time right. they said oh because now they are aware of a standard right this is this is the importance of if because these these stories such as the one Bradami related are part of the things that buttress liturgy Mm. are part of the, you know, that is why for me, one of the, the, one of the greatest blessings of the church is, is the hymn book. Hymn book. Mm. Right. Great point. The, the, it buttresses liturgy because ultimately lit, the, the liturgy is the way by which we, we man in, in, in the church, in, in assembly and congregation has fellowship. Mm -hmm. the, the formula, the, the process, the mode by which we have fellowship and we engage with God. But part of that engagement, right, is, is having things in your mind that make God more real to you. Mm, the truth exactly. is you can't really engage with God if he's this, uh, you know, esoteric, you know, kind of out there that you don't really have any, you don't really, this is why the word of God is given to us, that we might have the, the revelation of God, that we might have the knowledge of God. Mm. And so are also the, 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 you know, John, again, you know, John writes, it, it says, these things we, I, I, we, I write in order. You know, it says many things Christ said and wrote, you know, and did that we, I didn't even write that, you know, I, I, I haven't even written about. But mm. these things are written in order that you might believe. Absolutely. And that you might, you might know, right, that, you know, this is, this is not, you know, this isn't them say. This was, you know, we held him, we tasted him, we felt him. Right. We, 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 we ate with him. Mm. And well, the, uh, the stories of the pastor found out the same thing. The, you know, if, you know, the people that, that, that saw all these things said, oh man, you know, I, let's document all these things. Let's preserve all of this. It's part of the liturgy of the church. Mm. Absolutely. And if you think about that, where would the gospels in the New Testament be without Paul's letters, mm -hmm. you know, that were documented over and over and over again. And, you know, it's very interesting because Pope Paul VI actually made a statement about liturgy that I think actually ties very nicely to, to the state majors made. He goes, liturgy is like a strong tree mm. whose beauty is derived from the continuous renewal of its leaves, mm -hmm. but whose strength comes from the old trunk with mm. solid roots in the ground. So, you know, it, it's one thing to record all these events, but there has to be this continuous renewal of its leaves, and that's where you're coming to. But I also want to just put this conversation in context. We are comparing 
a 75-76 year old church with a church that's been around for over 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. True. And while that doesn't excuse Celestial from some of its faults and foibles, we also have to put that in perspective. Because should the Lord's come and tarry, in a thousand years, this is not the conversation Celestians are having. Mm. I believe all these institutions are in place. The reason we are having the struggle now is because that work to build the solid foundation is upon us. And there are so many old trunks who feel they will become irrelevant in such a world. So they would rather stick to this is what the Spirit says. They would rather stick to get us a candle and let's do a revival. These things are great. They're fine. I have nothing against them. But there is also a structure that's needed. There's documentation that's needed. And a lot of these things, like you correctly said, in order for liturgy to continue to flourish, it needs to be galvanized by the strength and the living body of these recorded stories. And without that, we're in trouble. But unfortunately, again, as I said, a lot of things were done so prophetically in the beginning, which is great. Yeah. But there comes a time in order to ensure the foundation is solid and the church continues to progress and doesn't become an entity in this world that we thrive in, it has to continue to compete with what this age requires and that is the literature documenting this and you know the power of words is is unbelievable you take all the histories that were written you know for instance you go to herodotus and the histories that you know he talks about and you start to actually understand some of the things that even transpired in these empires mm. and you go to some of the things that are being taught in schools i remember having a conversation with my daughter where she goes they didn't teach us any of that. I'm mm. almost going to the 12th grade. I haven't learned anything about the atrocities black people went through in America. But mm. guess what? This is also how histories are rewritten. Right. Because as long as the history, you know, there's, there's a saying, and I forget who actually said it. They said, as long as the story is written by the hunter, it mm. will always favor the hunter over the lion. Right. You know, and that's the thing. So at the end of the day, this is where the issue is. And because we don't have any single body or any single material or any library we can go to, to excavate all this information, we are then subject to every interpretation and every statement, however perfidious it may be, we're just subject to it. This person says, oh, Celestial is this, oh, Celestial is that, oh, they worship idols, oh, they do, they do that. And the only way we can refute it is somebody getting on a podcast or somebody getting on Facebook and mm -hmm. typing something to do that. But where is the library that points to it? Right. And the people who do write, unfortunately, are also sometimes, and I, I'm just going to you know, stop here so you can continue, but the people who document this thing sometimes don't even have a right to be doing it. Because mm -hmm. just because you have a website or a church does not mean you should be documenting, because some of the things we put right. there right. are terrible. I'll give you an example. You know, We, we were trying to... I guess deal with a bank or something over a loan and they asked what the name of the church was and celestial church of christ and blah 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 you know and everything was great and then they went on the website this is many years ago i guess it's just typed of celestial church and they read all this and then they called 
this cannot be a Christian church. And we go, why? <laughs> well, what is all this about women's monthly flow, about black and red and this and that? Right. You guys seem more like a cult and um, no, it just doesn't sound right. And here is the thing. It's not that these things are wrong, but how are they presented? Exactly. If you're just putting as in, don't do this, don't exactly. do that. Women must not do this. Exactly. Women must not. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> what exactly is this? And the moment people see that, I had an attorney at my job who called me one day and goes, I was looking up your church. That I'm, I'm surprised that someone as educated as you, she said, attends a church like that. Why? Yep. She had the same things. So when you document things like that, and you actually have the skills, the knowledge, the understanding, the grace, and the background to be able to put it, you put it in the right context where mm -hmm. anybody can go to it, and it actually educates rather than even create more problems for the church. Right. I um, tell you, I've always said, if you looked up this church online, you would, oh, <laughs> you, you would not want to join. You would never even want to go. Right. Because exactly the 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 the, the presentation. Because I think you make a very important point about you know the all of these things are ministries. People have to have the calling to even do this work of being a a, a you know a chronicler to do the work of being a right. scribe. Yeah. You know, it, it, we, we began this savvy. talk by by mm -hmm. you know uh, this discussion by by you know uh, saying how well you write something might just be as important as the thing that has been written. Exactly. Right? And so exactly. if, you know, to, 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 use, to go back to that, if the, the person writing the content is ill-equipped for the work, you may not even want to read what is being written. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which is, it, which is interesting because, oh, did you want to no, chime in? No, I was just going to say, just going back to writing and being the gift. You know, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 45.1, where David goes, my heart is in dice in a good matter. Mm. I speak of things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And God was David gifted. Mm. You know, so it, it's, it's here he is, again, praising God for the gift he has given, the gift of oration, the gift of writing. And he used it. His son Solomon had the same gift and they used it. You know, so without that, which is also part of the problem there, because you have people who have one gift who insist on having the other one. Everybody wants to be a preacher, mm -hmm. a shepherd, a pastor, and so on and so forth, rather than actually focusing on the gifts and using it. And some of the things you're talking about are things because we are traditionally originated as an African institution. I think that's also part of the problem, where culture also hinders us from progressing because you take things like skills like writing and things of the arts these are all skills that we're looked down upon from where we come from if you're not studying medicine or engineering <laughs> right, or things right, like right. that <laughs> you're an absolute <laughs> failure right. so where then is the gift that is actually saying let's That's nurture this person point. as a writer because right. that writer who i remember one of the things that used to happen and again my personal story just very quickly you know growing up my father used to get me a math tutor and an english tutor as well and he just wanted to make sure that, you know, math and, and every single month, both tutors would meet with my father to give him a report. And the math teacher always had a similar thing. You know, Essa, um, Dami is very intelligent, but I just don't know why he's just not focused in mathematics. Mm -hmm. The English and literature instructor will come, oh, 
Dami is fantastic in English. He's fantastic in literature. To which my father would go, are we going to eat English? He hates math. <laughs> math is what we need in this world. PTSD. everything. Exactly. So PTSD, you, yeah. you can imagine how, how that, but I mean, of course, he's grown so much since then. He's a very different person. But for a lot of us, we don't really cultivate any of that. Mm. And imagine Jeremiah also had a scribe, and I think it was Baruch or something mm -hmm. who also recorded a lot of that. Yes. So without this people, how then can that be cultivated? So we have to get back to where we recognize the diverse gifts that the Lord has blessed this church with, mm. start to build up ministries, start to empower them. There is so much serious work to be done rather than yeah. sitting here worrying about anointing and who is given chicken and who is not and all the silly <laughs> stuff Absolutely. that creates problems in the church. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, well. I love, I love the, I love the direction this ship is turning, because as you guys were speaking, and we'll probably start wrapping up soon, because I can see how this is gonna go for another. <laughs> this can like, easily go three hours. Oh so my gosh, I'm, I'm, yeah. like I'm seeing it. Um, you know, as you guys were uh, speaking, and and you were touching on the beauty aspect, and you know, when I'm when I look at even you know the Catholic Church, and even outside of the Christian denomination, you look at Islam. Even Christians that that turn their backs on Christianity, you know, are joining, you know, are are are, are renouncing the Christian faith and 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 picking up Islam. And I look at the history of beauty, you know, that they have, or the focus on beauty. Even when you look at their structures, right? You look at the old cathedrals, right? And mm just the structure of it and the beauty that it conveys right without having to to even be spoken you know to be spoken to you but just by looking at it there's something that's telling you that wow there's a lot of thought there's something that went into this and the reason i cite that's because I, I sometimes when i'm maybe let's say i'm designing a poster let's say there's upcoming revival for instance or harvest mm -hmm. and you're you're designing a poster i've always noticed something after I'm done with like, you know, all the, the colors, the, 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 the palettes and, and the subjects and everything that I'm putting, you know, in the poster to make it what it is. When I get to the textual part, right, where I'm putting maybe a revival of, of, of you know, whatever it is or harvest of whatever it is, I, 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 I always do this. I spend a considerable amount of time finding the right font type that fits that goes with 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 that packaging like one could easily ask well isn't isn't the point just to have something read up you know in that poster that people read it as long as it's legible people know what it is what am i why you know what am i looking for but without fail i'm always constantly i, I try the aerial font nah that's not good ah uh, let me look at this this uh which other fonts are there times new roman ah that's not fitting then i go on google look for any new retro fonts that like i'm basically searching for fonts and the reason i point this out is why is that right it's almost as if I'm not just interested in people reading the stuff that's on there. It's like, I want them to do that, but I also want them to experience the poster and the design and the beauty, the entire package, right? Which, you know, I don't believe we've got a handle on yet, right? We are still of the mindset, well, as long as that, you know, as long as it, it does what it's supposed, uh, you know, as long as people read it, as long as people, you know, but then when I take it to scripture and I'm reminded of the priests, right? Aaron's sons who were just burning any incense and God just like 
killed them. And, and one might look at that, you know, and, and, and I purposely think that today's church, they purposely, you know, they ditch these types of, uh, of uh, texts in scripture just so people aren't scared. But it's like you read it and you're like, wow, God, you know, one can have the attitude. That's kind of that's kind of harsh. You know, like all they did were, was, you know, they were burning strange fire, I guess it seems. But, you know, it's just fire. And it isn't as if like, you know, God, you smell the way we do. If you choose not to smell it, you don't have to. You know, one could, one could say all of these things, but it seems that God is concerned with the organized beauty, with the orchestration of, of this litur liturgical aspect of, of worshiping him. I mean, he called them out of Egypt, let my people go and worship me. And the way that he is to be worshiped is a is a is is a part of a uh uh I guess it's a it's a tapestry of 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 you know of um practices that in their order and in their in their structure there's harmony there and harmony is beauty and if anyone violates that beauty or mars it in any way shape or form there's repercussions for it and maybe in our time for instance we don't in our time we don't suffer immediate type of judgment but i've all i've noticed that let's say we're all congregating together holy convocation on sunday and we go into it i've noticed that in a, on a given sunday where we are all immersed in it and we all take in the true be like the the service itself has this even though it's something we do every Sunday, there's a, there's a, Transcendent. yeah, there's just, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a diff, it's an experience, but yeah. like on a different Sunday where people come late and it's, it's a silent prayer, uh, it's time for a silent you prayer feel, and that's the time. You feel the, you feel the discordancy. I, exactly. I, I know exactly what you mean. Completely. Right. You can feel when the church, and I think that's one of the, the powers of liturgy is that you can actually feel when, mm. when the church is in sync is not in harmony oh, and right. when the church is not in sync when the church is not in harmony you can feel it right you, you can feel like hmm because there's days where like, like you rightly said there's been services where it feels like everybody's in sync and man the way the holy spirit manifests during those services right is, is to use bradami's word is transcendent yep and there's exactly. days where you can you can almost feel that ah everybody's kind of out of it right Right, which goes back to the tradition of us not really revering, I guess, not that we don't have beauty, you know, beautiful aspects of our culture and tradition. I, I hope, you know, people don't take that away from, from what we're talking about. But I think there's a level of reverence or appreciation for beauty that we are yet to truly um to truly have that will really, you know, so, you know, when, when we come together and we're having our convocation and service, people look at it in a different way other than just, oh, you know, well, in a routine-like way. And looking at it from a beauty perspective, you know, it's sort of like when you look at you know, if you, if you attend maybe a recital where, you know, uh, maybe a piano recital and it's a tradition that's been in, in the West for quite some time or an opera people have a way they dress to it. And when they get there, everybody knows just how to move and be quiet, mm -hmm. right? Everybody knows how to sit in accordance. People know when to, when there's to clap, a, when to, you know, yep. yeah, there's a certain order in, you know, there's a sync to it 
that you know gives you this and, and you notice that i was using islam earlier too you look at the islamic structures you look at like the way they write you know the 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 attention they put to everything that they do i think is what makes it attractive even to people in the west that they're willing to learn arabic right they're That's willing it. to learn arabic to be yeah go ahead i, I was just gonna say just touching on that um it's like the other day just take you know, when a Muadin, who is the person who does the sort of um, the the uh, Adani, the call, oh, the call prayer. to prayer, right, right. You know, when he was reciting, you know, whether he's doing the Adani or the Kama, and it was so beautiful that even if he didn't understand a single word in Arabic mm. or had nothing to do with Islam, there was something in your spirit that tells you. This is not just a voice singing. Mm. This is a soul mm. wailing from the very depths of the gift of God, wailing onto God. And the way it, it moved me in such a powerful way that I could not help but marvel at the beauty of this God. Mm. And to go to your point about how important beauty is, which is one place where I think celestial church has not put a lot of emphasis most of our churches i'm gonna put a lot of i mean all you have to do is go to the fact that every church most of these parishes are makeshift shops and things like that and all of that that would never really attract anybody most of the time you drive past the parish before you even know it's an actual church <laughs> right. because it's a shop by day it's a church by uh -huh, night oh, well, there was one yeah, that invited me to their harvest <laughs> and i went there i kept driving in circles because uh -huh. i couldn't find the church you can't find the somebody place. says oh no no it's the top of this factory <laughs> and i go in there and i'm like some other God, bodega yeah. <laughs> and if you think about this God whom we worship, mm. who else could express beauty better than this God? Look at a flower and look at the intricate details this God puts into a flower. Mm. Look at the creatures in the oceans and birds and mm -hmm. look at the intricate way he builds them. Look at the way he creates man. Look at all the intricate details he places in a woman. Mm. This is a God who loves beauty, who adorns himself in beauty, mm. who wants to be worshipped in the beauty of his holiness. Mm. So we have to find a way to do that. So you taking the time to find the right font, to put it in there, may not be appreciated by a lot of people, but guess what? Your maker to whom you're doing it understands and he's honored by it. And our mm. services, when you truly understand our services and you enter into it spiritually, or you go into a church where the Lord is being honored, the way the candles are being lit, the way the songs are being sung, even our, our, our new moons or high mass services, Mm -hmm. When some of those yep. songs start, yep. and you have the right person leading it, mm -hmm. oh my God! Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I yep. mean, it, it's yeah. it's it's an absolutely unbelievable yeah. experience, and I think we've yep. just gotten away exactly, completely. We've gone away from that. You know, there is a book, a conversation in the art of spiritual reading by um, Eugene Peterson. Hmm. And there is a part there he talks about liturgy, and, uh, and I'm going to try to read it very quickly because I think it, it touches on everything which he said. Listen to what he writes. Hmm. Liturgy puts us to work along with all the others who have been and have been put to work in the world by and with Jesus, hmm. following our spirituality, forming text. Liturgy keeps us in touch with all the action that has been and is being generated by the Spirit as given witnesses in the biblical text. Mm. Liturgy prevents the narrative form of Scripture from being reduced to private 
individualized consumption. Mm. Understand this way, liturgical has little to do with choreography in the chancel or in aesthetics of the sublime. It is obedient, participatory, listening to the Holy Scripture in the company of the Holy Communion through time. High Church, Anglicans, Revivalists, Baptists, hand in the air, praising Charismatics and Quakers, sitting in a bare room in silence, are all required to read and live this text liturgically, participating in the Holy Community's mm -hmm. reading of Holy Scripture. There is nothing churchy or elitist about it. It is a vast and dramatic story in. Mm. making sure that we are taking our place in the story and letting everyone else have their part in the story also. Making sure that we don't leave anything or anyone out of the story. Without sufficient liturgical support and structure, we're very apt to edit the story down to fit our individual taste and predispositions. Mm. I don't think it can be put any better than that. Right. And that's exactly why liturgy is so important. Mm. Because it keeps us from the predisposition, as I said, that thing in us that is always seeking to go our own way. It keeps us from rewriting the narrative of God's truth according to what fits our own particular image. Right. Liturgy forces us to live, to walk, to move, to breathe within the image of God himself. Mm. However, he chooses to reveal that image to you and I. He reveals this differently to the Catholic person, reveals this differently to the Baptist person, the same Christ. And this is what Paul also means when he says, you know, I became a little bit of this and that to everybody right. that I may win some to Christ. Mm. And when you think about the fact that the very first chapter of the Bible in the book of Genesis, where do we find the spirit of God hovering over the waters? waters. And there is nothing more malleable, more flexible, more, 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 more apt to take on any shape or form than water. Mm. This is where God abides. So when you think about that, there's also a reason why we are 70% water, why the world is 70% water. Right. So there is a strictness and a definition to it. But within mm. that definition is also the part where he says, any man born of water and spirit is also like the wind that comes and goes where no man knows where it yeah, listed. There is freedom within the definitions of God's grandiosity. And you can never ever confine it into our own very image. It's so much larger than that. But I think beauty is so important and it is something we don't emphasize enough in our worship, in our approach, in our churches, in the churches we build and the way we build it, we just think, just put two, four walls together, it doesn't matter, we can worship God. We have completely, completely reduced God to our own identity, and it's such a shame. And on that note, um, I just want to ask one more question, and I promise we'll land this, we'll land this plane, because this has been so insightful. But I feel like if we don't talk about this, it will be lacking something. So, and this is a little bit more specific, right? Aspects of our liturgy, of our liturgy in, in the celestial church of Christ are conveying, you know, there's a humility to it and largely focus on God, right? Mm -hmm. Where everything we do focuses on God. Right. It, at no point is it to focus on ourselves. Right. But then right. what would you say about now? And we've talked about how, you know, man from his you know, state of rebellion tries to edit the things, you know, that God has given for his for his you know, purpose. Now, what would we say about the sutana, right, our, our garment? And I guess it means uh, what it means to even, you know, uh, 
to us in Celestial Church of Christ tends to vary. Um, because there are some that look at the sutana as a garment of, well, you know, it's it's a it's a style, kind of it's a it's an attire to you know to how can I put it like to put tassels on to to show right. off in, and it's like, and then there are others that see it more from a it's a garment of humility, right? It's something that connects us to as well. So where does that fall? And is it? I guess this this is now this is your personal observations of, of the matter. Um, where we are just with the Sutana, is it participating in, in that beauty and that harmony that's supposed to be part of this liturgy that's focused on God? Um, I'll give a, an example, and this is not on the Sutana, but we'll come back to Sutana, is there's, there was a time I was looking at, I, I, I don't remember the church, but it's one of those Pentecostal churches where they invite people to to either you know um, say jokes on the stage or or and then you know or have uh, someone sing with a with a saxophone or whatever and, and 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 praise and stuff like that. And I was looking at the structure of it, and at that moment, it, it, it's almost as if something was telling me that this is what man does. The altar that's meant to focus on God has now been exchanged for a stage, right? For where men get to, you know, even though they're acting as if it's under the guise of giving glory to God, but never, it, it's, it, it, that, isn't, that isn't actually what the truth is. The truth is, is that focus is on them. And it was like, how quickly an altar becomes a stage was practically the theme of that lesson I was getting. So, and, and sometimes it's like, we're doing it in the sense that, and this, we, we, we make these changes thinking that we're doing it for the benefit of God and we're glorifying God. I just want to glorify God. But when we shift the liturgy, which is a dramatization or sort of like acting out of, of the kingdom or, or, or you know, of, of our communion, communion with God, what do we think about the sutana in that case in our present, in our present time? So that would be the last question and we land this boat. Well, I think personally that the Sutana was meant for one of the main reasons. Celestial Church of Christ is guided and founded on humility. God could have chosen one of the most educated, PhD-holding individuals to bring the church through. There's a reason he came through an illiterate carpenter, that no man should stand before him and boast. Mm -hmm. But when you take what the Sutana also represents, this humbling, this making equal of all these varied parts, I mean, you take a church where you've got doctors and admirals and, and, and generals and directors and things of that nature, and you've got carpenters and laborers, but everybody looks the same. There is no, I'm wearing a three-piece suit that is made by whoever, and you're wearing a three-piece suit that was put together shabbily in a shop downstairs. There's mm -hmm. none of that. And the humility that the church is meant to teach, think about how many times we're on our knees in the course of our services. A consistent reminder mm -hmm. that before me, man is completely subject. We bow together. We bow our heads to the earth, not just kneeling, but bowing our heads to the earth. Again, this humbling and this humiliation of the self. Mm. But here is the thing we have to learn. Give Satan anything and he will sensualize it. 
any spiritual form, he will centralize it. And because pride is king in the hearts of the sons and daughters of men, we are always quick to centralize everything. The sutana is meant to be this humble garment, the spiritual garment, again, ushering us even further into God's holiness. You put it on, your shoes are off your feet. In the Bible, it talks about those arrayed in white. Again, it stands for the righteousness of Christ being placed upon them. There is a foreshadowing of the new Jerusalem we're entering into. There's a foreshadowing mm -hmm. of the new worship we're going to be entering up to up there. But what do we do with it here? We take the tassels and we put all sorts of trimmings on it. We take the capes and we put everything on it. So Tanners have been turned to a fashion statement because again, everything that the Lord has given spiritually, the flesh is completely compromised. That's really what is happening. Mm. So when you see that happen, that's literally what's going on. And it, it speaks also to the leadership of the church. And by leadership, I'm not speaking to the pastor. I'm even talking about individual parishes. Right, right. I'm talking about shepherds and the way they manage that. It's, yeah, some people go, oh, what does my satana matter? Of course it matters. It's a demonstration of your heart. You're coming before the king of kings. It's the way you dress. Mm -hmm. We go to courts for a traffic ticket. You're not going to dress in a gaudy manner or anything like that. We come in in suits. We come in in dresses. We want to present ourselves. Yet we come before the king of kings. And suddenly, like the example you give, in the altar, where it is a place of reverence, we turn it into a stage. The choir stand, where we're supposed to be singing songs, glorifying God, stirring the spirit. Before you know it, a certain choir or singer or whatever loses it and starts to centralize it because now it's all about him. And that is always the temptation of a church where liturgy is there and where, where uh, forgive me, orthodoxy is there, but there is also the spiritual move and the spiritual affirmation. As long as that is there, there will always be the great temptation of turning what is good into what is evil. And that is what has happened with sutanas. That is what has happened with sutanas, ranks, and robes, and things like that. Who cares? And I'll just finish, and I'll round up in this so I can handle so you can share your part. But, you know, I went to a church once and I was talking about, you know, we start arguing about who is lining up before whom. Oh, I'm senior to this person. I got my anointing two years ago. He got his anointing only a year and a half ago. Therefore, I must be staying before him. I said, right. do you understand why we chant seven hallelujahs to the four ends of the earth? I go, okay. If you're facing the east and I am behind you, Sheung, and you say, okay, he's my senior behind you. The moment we turn to the west, who's behind who? Right. You're behind me now. Switch. Suddenly, right. I am now junior to you. And the only places where we're equal is when we then turn to the north and we turn to the south. Again, as a reminder that the Lord taught us, the greatest shall be the least and the least shall be the greatest. Mm. But before God, who sits in the north of the circle, we're equal. And we miss all these things because we continue to consider the spiritual with the flesh and the two cannot coexist. But right. I'm going to stop because I know you want to wrap this up. So forgive me for going on and on about that. No, no problem. It's, that's, that's great. Uh, Brother Shay, do you have any closing, uh, anything to add to that? Uh, not at all. I think Bradami gets the, that, the final word, not because he's a <laughs> guest, but because I don't think it can be said any better. Okay. All right. I want to thank you guys for uh, for this great episode. We've we've uh, we've talked a lot, um, 
and addressed a lot of issues. And, and already in my head, I'm thinking about even other things that we could address. <laughs> but um, I hope that, you know, Brother Dami, you would, you would find it, you know, uh, beneficial for you to maybe return for another, another episode. Maybe not this particular, uh, maybe not a part two of this one. Uh, maybe it is a part two, but in a different episode, if you would uh, find it beneficial to return as a guest I would again. Be, I would be honored. I've had a fantastic experience. It has been just as educational for me as well. I think what you and she are doing here is to be commended. And uh, this is great discussions. I wish there were more of this, but this is a start. This is a ministry, and I just pray to God that he continues to water this ministry, that you guys don't lose your fire and your zeal. And it continues to enlighten the darkness of many in the church because this is really what is needed. And I just feel really, really honored that you've invited me. And I absolutely will be honored to come back again, anytime, anywhere. Thank you so much, sir.